We are in a new sermon series on spiritual gifts, and we're studying 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, verse by verse. And one reason we're doing this series is because spiritual gifts is one of those topics in the Bible that are not crystal clear. And for that reason, you have people who love Jesus Christ and who love the scriptures come to different conclusions on the topic of spiritual gifts. And so I want to share with you where the elders of Grace Church are at, and that'll give you a sense of where we're going in these next weeks. So there's really three different groups when you look at the, 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 the church, the evangelical church. Each of these groups, in terms of this is different opinions on spiritual gifts, we can love each other and care for each other and pray for each other, but it's, it's helpful to point out the differences. One group has studied the Bible and concluded that God is still giving supernatural spiritual gifts like healing and like prophecy and like tongues. So they've studied the scriptures, they believe God is still giving those gifts, and we love the brothers and sisters that are in that group, but, but one concern that, that, that we have is that sometimes some of those groups practice the gifts in ways that aren't entirely biblical. For example, sometimes they can elevate spiritual gifts above the Bible, which is very dangerous. The Bible is our sole authority, the only source of perfect truth that we have, not spiritual gifts. That's one concern that we have. Also, sometimes these groups can teach that everybody can and should speak in tongues. Now, we will see in this morning's passage, end of 1 Corinthians 12, that that's not true. Everybody does not speak in tongues. Sometimes these groups uh, encourage people to speak in tongues publicly without any interpretation. We will see in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says, that's not how tongues should be pursued. Sometimes these groups teach that it's always God's will to heal and if we just have enough faith, we will always be healed. But that's not what the Bible teaches. So we love that group in terms of their study of the scripture and pursuing gifts, but we do have some concerns and we don't count ourselves as part of that group. Although we love them. Does that make it clear? We love them, but we're not part of that one, okay? Um, A second group has also studied the scriptures and has come to the conclusion that God is not giving supernatural spiritual gifts anymore, that those gifts stop when the apostles died. And we love our brothers and sisters in that group. Some of my best friends are in that group, but we are not persuaded by the reasons that they say are in the scripture for why these gifts have stopped. So the elders at Grace Church, we find ourselves in in this third group where we've studied the scriptures. We do believe that God is still giving these supernatural spiritual gifts and we are passionately committed to pursuing them biblically. So yes to the gifts and yes to the way Paul tells us and the other New Testament writings tell us to pursue these gifts. So, for example, we want to make sure that the scriptures are always held up above spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are evaluated as to whether they are true by the scriptures. The scriptures are our ultimate and sole perfect authority. Also, we do not believe that everyone can and should speak in tongues. So we, can, we can pray for the gift of tongues, but it's God's choice whether he gives it or not. Tongues is not the ultimate gift. It's one of many wonderful gifts. When tongues are practiced here, they need to be interpreted. Otherwise, the rest of the body can't benefit. That's what Paul teaches in 1 Corinthians 14. 
And while we, oh, thanks, brother, a gift. Um, while we love to pray for the sick, we do not believe the Bible teaches that it's always God's will to heal now. Either now or heaven, he will always heal his people, but it's not always now. And even if you are full of faith and fully surrendered to him, he may choose in his love not to heal. So that's the group that, that we're in now. Some of you listening to this thinking, yikes, I'm, I'm not in that third group. I'm like in the first group, or, or I'm in the second group. And that's all right. I hope you don't feel uncomfortable by me laying out these groups. Just want to be clear in terms of where we are. But my encouragement to you is to just sit back and, and, and study with us these next few weeks. Email any questions that you have. Let's talk about these things together. You can fully be a part of Grace Church and not identify with that third group as long as it doesn't cause you any difficulty. We're happy with that. But we want to be clear with what the elders here believe and what we teach and why we do what we do. Now let me give you a, uh, an illustration as to just one thing that was so exciting this week and, and I hope it's an encouragement to you as to why we want to pursue this. Jan and I got a text message on Saturday morning, last Saturday. Here's what this wonderful woman said. Dear Jan and Pastor Steve, every day I experience severe back and shoulder pain. It is worst when I first wake up but it's also quite painful after driving. Yesterday, last Friday, I came to church with a friend and sat at the back because we had to leave for Dubai right after the service. At the end of the service, a young man, Tyler, are you here? You young man, Tyler? Okay, I'm not sure Tyler's here this morning. A young man who does not know me asked if I had any pain. I told him about my severe back and shoulder pain. He asked to pray for me, and as he prayed, I felt a warm flush through my entire body. I did not know what to think, so I thanked him, and we left for Dubai. But after our drive to Dubai, when I got out of the car, there was no pain. And this morning, Saturday morning, when I woke up, there was absolutely no pain. It was a miracle. And she went on to say, praise the Lord, that later on the week we followed up and, and the pain is still gone. All the pain's gone. Now, think of the encouragement that the Lord brought to her. Tyler, there he is, okay, anyway. Think of the encouragement the Lord brought to, to this woman. Prayer, and I don't know how long, this pain's been going on for a long time, severe, debilitating pain, and God removed that pain from her. It brings glory to Jesus Christ, it blesses God's people. It displays God's reality and love to the lost world. It's beautiful to pursue spiritual gifts. Let's study 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. So here's a picture of what we've covered last week and what we're covering today. There we go, perfect. So last week in chapter 12, verses one through 11, we saw that God gives each of his people, each believer, each member of the church, different spiritual gifts. And this week, starting in chapter 12, verse 12, Paul's going to tell us that the church, therefore, is just like the physical body, like your physical body. You have one body with many different parts. So Paul's going to talk a lot about this analogy of the church being like a physical body and what the implications of that are. Now, this is one of those passages, it's real easy to, to read it. Many, many of you have probably heard teaching on this many, many times. You've read it many, many times. We can read it and miss just how revolutionary it is. 
Because what Paul says in this section is that the church is a supernatural miracle. The love that's in this group of diverse people, the the unity that's here with people from all different backgrounds, the racial harmony that happens in the church is like no other group of people in the world. Nowhere else in the world does this kind of love and unity and togetherness take place. It's humanly unexplainable what happens in every church of Jesus Christ. So the question is, how does this supernatural love and unity between diverse people, how does that happen? And Paul tells us in verses 12 through 14, he answers the question, how does Jesus create the church? Start with verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ, Jesus and his church. So the church is like a human body. So just think about it. You have a body, and it has many different parts, right? You've got elbows, and you've got ears, and you've got eyes, and you've got noses, and, and every, dif- every different part, very diverse, very different from each other, but every part of your body is working together in, in unity. And that's Jesus' plan for the church. Many diverse members all working together, loving each other, one in unity together. Now, how does God create that? How does Jesus create that unity amongst such diversity? The answer is in verses 13 and 14. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but many members. Now, notice in verse 13 that the church at that time was made up of Jews and Greeks who have a history of terrible racial hostility against each other. Also, the church was made up of both slaves and free who in normal society had nothing to do with each other, no connection together whatsoever. But Jesus takes Jews and Greeks and brings them together in love and unity. And Jesus takes slave and free and brings them together into love and unity. How does that happen? That is a supernatural, humanly unexplainable reality. And how does he do it? It's by baptizing us in the Holy Spirit into one body. Now, this is not water baptism. We had a wonderful water baptism celebration last Saturday morning. This is the baptism in the Holy Spirit which takes place when God saves you. Now, some groups teach that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is all about speaking in tongues. Don't think the Bible teaches that. Let's just keep those separated. Okay, we're not talking about tongues here. We're just talking about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. What is this baptism in the Holy Spirit? It takes place when God saves you. Now, here's here's some context for this. Before we were saved, just a reminder, we all know this, or maybe some of us don't, but before we were all saved, 
We were dead in sin. We had turned our backs on God. We were not interested in God. We wanted to call, make the own call, our own calls for our lives. We wanted to make our own decisions for how we were going to live. We wanted to be independent of God. That's what the Bible calls sin. And every one of us were under God's judgment. We were facing hell forever. We were separated from God. We needed to be saved. But then somebody told us the good news of Jesus. Somebody told us that God loves us and wants to find a way, make a way for us to be forgiven, and he sent Jesus who died on the cross to pay for the sins of everyone who would trust him. And as that message was shared with you, God used that message. He brought a supernatural power upon you through that message, and he changed your hearts. So he softened our hearts so that for the first time we felt the love of Jesus Christ so glorious, so beautiful, so real, that we wanted him more than anything else. God gave us repentance, changed our hearts, so we gladly turned away from sin because we wanted Jesus more than anything. And God gave us faith, so we trusted Jesus to forgive us for our sins. And as we repented of our sin and put our trust in Jesus, Jesus baptized us with the Holy Spirit. He poured out his Holy Spirit upon us. He poured his love into our hearts. First time we'd felt God's love poured into our hearts, so we knew God's not gonna punish us, God's not gonna judge us, God loves me, God's forgiven me. That outpouring of his love, you knew that you were forgiven by God, you were assured that you were saved and forgiven. He satisfied our heart thirst with the, the living water of the Holy Spirit. Notice the end of verse 13. We were all made to drink of one spirit. Our heart thirsts were, for the first time ever, completely satisfied with the loving, glorious presence of God in Jesus Christ. We were filled, we were satisfied, we were filled with joy, and we knew that that joy was gonna be ours, not just temporarily, but forever. The baptism in the Holy Spirit. We knew God, we felt his presence, we loved him, we were filled, we were adopted, he was our father, everything was changed. And that baptism transformed our relationships with God's people. It's one way it changes us. When, when we walked into our first church gathering with old people and young people, people of different racial backgrounds, different skin colors, rich people, poor people, all different kinds of people. When you, when you walked into your first church gathering, your love for Jesus that was there by the outpouring of God's love for you, your love for Jesus felt their love for Jesus. Right, so your love for Jesus feels their love for Jesus. And that, it's like brought you together like two magnets. Vroom, and it overcame all those divisions, just one by one, boom, 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 boom. Unity, because the glory of Jesus Christ is the most important thing to you, the glory of Jesus Christ is the most important thing to them, and when the glory of Jesus Christ is the most important to you and to them, you're in unity together. All those barriers, young, old, rich, poor, racial, whatever, forget it, Jesus, and we're just united together, and that's how Jesus creates his church by the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When you walked into that first church gathering and that unity was there, you felt a love and a unity and a closeness 
like you had never felt with any group of people before because the church united together in Jesus Christ is what human relationships were intended to be. And just one side note, we want to be a church, Grace, where when people walk in who don't know the Lord and they watch and they look and they think, this is amazing. How does this happen? How does this take place? As Jesus said, when they see our unity, they'll know that God sent Jesus. So let's be that kind of church. In fact, I want to just have us take a little heart check for a moment to think about this because this unity that we have is given to us by the baptism of the Spirit, but we need to protect it and we need to guard it, right? So let's just take a little heart check here. Is there anybody here who feels jealous or bitter towards someone else here? That happens, right? It it happens. But if that's the case, you need a fresh drink from the living water of the Holy Spirit to quench those heart thirsts. That's the problem. You need to drink some more, okay? Is there anybody here in this group who has a race or a skin color or an ethnicity that you just kind of tend to avoid? That can happen. You need a fresh outpouring of Jesus' love if that's what's going on in you. And he will give you that. He will pour that out afresh upon you. Or when it comes to spiritual gifts, is there anybody here in regards to spiritual gifts toward whom you feel inferior or toward whom you feel superior? Well, if so, then you need to turn your heart from the gifts to the giver once again. Meet the giver again, Jesus, in all of his glory. And all that inferiority or superiority will be gone. And unity will be restored. So see, the church is a supernatural miracle from God. Bringing people together who ordinarily would never be together. Into a love and a unity that can't be experienced anywhere else. That's church life. It's amazing. Now in the rest of this passage, Paul wants to spell out implications of that or how that unity will affect us. And so the next question he, he answers is, how much does the church need me? How much does the church need me? Look at what he says in verses 15 and 16. If the foot, so he's talking about this analogy of the human body, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make the foot any less a part of the body, right? And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. Now you might think, for example, that, well, because I'm not a a Bible teacher, therefore I'm, I'm not really a needed part of the church. Or you might think, well, because English is my second language here, I'm not really like a fully needed part of the church. Or you might think that because you're just in high school or because you're really old, that you're not really a needed part of the church. But see, Paul's answer is because you're trusting Jesus and when you trusted Jesus, you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you are joined into the church. You are a needed part of the church. Now, you can see that in verse 17. 
Paul goes on, says, if the whole body were an eye, where would, the sense of, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? I mean, Paul, maybe has a sense of humor here. I mean, imagine, imagine this body which is an eye. You know, it could like see really well, as long as it, everything walked in front of it, because it couldn't turn around, because there's no head to turn it around. Okay? So you get the point, right? Just an eye is not gonna be able to do everything, especially not here, like Paul says here. Or just think about one huge ear. Okay, like hear really, really well, as long as you're within hearing distance of it, but if you go far away, anyway, you get the point. Verse 18, Paul goes on, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, all the different members, as he chose. If all were a single member, if they are all the same member, where would the body be? So God has chosen to put in the church people of all different ages, people of all different spiritual gifts, people of all different nationalities. He's put all these diverse people together into the church and every part is essential for the church to function. You are essential in order for Grace Church to function. Essential, not, not just recommended, this is essential, okay, essential. So how much does the church need you? As much as you need every part of your body. So Paul wants you to understand, how much does the church need you? As much as you need every part of your body. Imagine that tomorrow, when you woke up, your knee decided, I'm just gonna stay home today. They, they won't miss me. I'm tired, it's been a long, long Friday yesterday. I'm just gonna stay home, take a break from the body, and just gonna be on my own here. Will you miss your knee? I mean, just, you know, it's, right, something's terribly wrong here. I can't figure this out, okay? You will, you will miss your knee. There's just no question about it. Same with your nose or your elbow or your whatever, all right? You'll, you'll miss the parts of the body. You need every part of your body. And the church needs every part of its body. Essential. So don't think, I'm not gonna go to worship this Friday. I won't, be, I won't be missed. Or I'm not gonna go to home group this week. No one's gonna miss me. We will miss you. Just like you'd miss your knee. We will miss you. God might have planned for your singing. Don't have the best voice, doesn't mean a difference, but just you being there enthusiastically worshiping Jesus, somebody across the aisle looking at you, that might be what God had planned, how that person who's going through a very difficult trial would be, okay, I can make it another week. That person's trusting you, I'm, I'm gonna trust you too, Lord. And that wouldn't have happened if you weren't there. God might have planned you sharing a scripture, maybe as a spiritual gift, to be the means by which somebody who is about ready to leave his wife is convicted and says no. Amazing. God might have planned for a conversation that you'd have after Friday morning or after the home group to give wisdom to somebody who was very confused about something. The church needs every part of the body as much as you need every part of your body. So when you miss on a Friday morning, we suffer. 
when you miss your home group, the home group suffers. Now, are there some Fridays in home groups when we have to miss? Yes, all right. We're not like the perfect attendance club here. We, it just doesn't work, we get that. There are times when you have to miss. There's times where I have to miss, times where you have to miss. The point is don't take that lightly. Bring it before the Lord. Lord, is this something that you want me to do? I've got this other thing coming up, what should I do? And as the Lord gives you freedom to say, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna miss, then your home group will not be all it could have been, but God will take care of them. And we will not be all that we could have been, but God will take care of us. But don't miss lightly. Does that make sense? Very important. So we're asking, how much does the church need me? And the answer is, as much as your body needs your hand, or your knee, or your eyes. Now Paul's third question, do I really need every other part of the body? I get it, the body needs me, do I really need all of them? Start with verse 20. As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. So here we have one part of the body thinking it doesn't need another part. That's that happening with any of us? Keep looking at verse 22. On the contrary, Paul says, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker, so there's, there's times where we might think that another part seems weaker. Paul says, it's not weaker, they're indispensable. But so here's what Paul's talking about. There's a danger of some parts of the body thinking that other parts are weaker and therefore not really needed. That's a danger in all of us. I would guess some of us are thinking that right now, that some other part of the body, not really needed, you don't really need them, they're weaker for whatever reason. So for example, could mature Bible-taught believers think that they don't need brand new believers to teach them anything? Okay, is that possible? Could corporate executives think they don't need laborers to pray for them or to counsel them in the scriptures? Could upfront leaders think that they don't need behind the scenes workers? Lots of ways. I mean, just ask yourself, is there, is there any part of the body, is there anyone here that I think I, I really do not need them? You do. Every part is essential. Look at that last word in verse 22. Indispensable. That means that which you cannot do without. Indispensable. So brand new believers, indispensable. Laborers, indispensable. Behind the scenes workers, indispensable. Verse 23. Paul goes on, on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. He's talking about our physical bodies here. There's parts of our physical bodies we think less honorable. We bestow the greater honor on them and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. So there are parts of our bodies that we find less honorable or 
unpresentable, and we honor them by clothing them. And in the same way, God honors those who in the church might seem to have less honor. God honors them, and God does this so that there'd be no division, but so we would have the same care for each other. So ask yourself, do you have the same care for every other member of the body here? Paul wants us to have the same care for each other. Now that, it's like wow, because we all tend to gravitate towards people that we like, they're like us, whatever we do, right? It's very common, we all struggle with this, we all need to work on this. But when you see Jesus afresh, when you drink afresh of the Holy Spirit, when his love satisfies you in a new way, when you behold his glory, those differences tend to move aside and we care for each one. That's what God will do and that's what Paul is calling us to do. And then what'll happen when there's no division, when we have the same care, verse 26 is what will happen. If one member suffers, whoever that member is, when, when any one member suffers, all suffer together because we have the same care for each other. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now imagine being part of a small group, community of believers, and whenever you suffer, they all suffer with you. Wouldn't that be encouraging? Or when you rejoice, they all rejoice with you. When you're honored, they all rejoice with you. I'm not talking about having one or two friends who suffers with you or rejoices with you. I'm talking about having a, a group, a small community of believers who all suffer with you when you suffer and all rejoice with you when you are, are honored. Now see, this is part of church life. Verse 26, one member suffers, all suffer together. One member is honored, all rejoice together. This is part of church life and God wants you to experience this. Do you have this? Where do we find this? Now, as, as the elders have thought about this, Friday morning is too big of a group to have all of us suffering with all of us who are suffering, okay? Just too big of a group. We can taste that a little bit, but we need a smaller group for that, and that's why we have established home groups. Because home groups is a place where we can more fully experience this aspect of, of church life. This level of love and closeness is essential for us to have. God created this, he wants us to have this. Friday mornings is too big a group. We can do this in smaller groups, that's why we've established home groups. And I wanna stress this point because many of us are not in home groups here at Grace Church. And this morning, I want to urge you to consider becoming part of one of our home groups. At the end of this message, I'm gonna have all the, the home group leaders come up here to the front, introduce them, give you a chance to see who they are. We're gonna have a map showing you where they are, but I want to urge you to give this serious prayer and consideration. You need a smaller group of believers around you where you can love each other, care for each other. When one suffers, all suffer. When one is honored, all rejoice. A home group is a group of like 10 to 20 people, meets once a week, different parts of the city. You'll see the map in a moment. We pray together. We study the Bible together. We do barbecues together. We do evangelism training together. We 
reach out to the lost together, we study the Bible together, did I already say that? We do lots of things together. And it's a beautiful growing together of love and community so we can have this level of closeness described by when one suffers, all suffer, when one is honored, all rejoice. So Paul has explained how Jesus creates the church by the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which comes at the point of conversion. He's talked about how this changes the way we see ourselves and the way we see others. And now in this last section of this morning's passage, he wants to apply this to spiritual gifts. Back to the topic of spiritual gifts. So what does this mean, this body analogy, mean for spiritual gifts? Start with verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So he's applying this from physical bodies to now we're the body of Christ, individually members. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Now, what does it mean that God has appointed certain gifts first and then second and then third? He can't be ranking them in order of importance because he's just, that would just dis- destroy everything he's just said, right? About some gifts being more important than others, no. So what many commentators say, and I think that this is right, is that Paul's talking about their order, in, the order that they are used in terms of planting the church the order of establishing the church. So first, it's apostles. Now, who are apostles? Apostles are men who met the resurrected Jesus and were commissioned by Jesus to be apostles, which seem to look like church planters. They were specially gifted by Jesus to speak and write perfect truth from God, which is where we get the New Testament. And because they were men who had met the resurrected Jesus and been commissioned by Jesus to be apostles, there are no more apostles, which is why we aren't adding to the Bible anymore. The Bible is finished. Apostles are finished, but take the church at Corinth. The first thing that would happen is, well, Paul, this is what happened. Paul walked into Corinth and started preaching about Jesus. He was the apostle sent there to Corinth to preach the gospel. Jesus sent him there. He preached the good news of Jesus. People got saved. Church started to gather together. Then second, God raised up prophets, men or women who brought special messages from God to bring encouragement to the body and the church could tell those were from God because they fit the things that Paul had already taught because Paul was the apostle. Then third, there are teachers who take a little more time to raise up because teachers needed to study the Old Testament scriptures, study the apostolic teaching to make sure that they were in sync with God's word. And so then teachers started teaching the scriptures and then all the rest of the gifts were given. So that's first, second, and third, how God used these gifts and then the rest of them as well. That's verses 29 and 30. I'm sorry, that's verse 27 and 28. Now, 29 and 30. This is a crucial section. You need to understand that in the Greek, there's a way to ask a question so you're already telling the person you're talking to that the answer is no. And that's how each of these questions is framed. So verse 29, are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. 
Do all work miracles? No. Do all possess gifts of healing? No. Do all speak in tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. See, Paul has been talking all along about there's a diversity in the body. If we were all one big I, what would happen to the body? That's what he's talking about here. We're not all this or this diversity. So none of us are all of these things, including speaking with tongues. I'm sure some of you are from a background where you were taught that everybody can and should speak in tongues. And respect people who teach that. I think people mean well who teach that. But see, this verse shows that that's not true. And I hope that that lifts some maybe pressure off of some of you. You can just relax. God gives gifts as he will. We pray, we desire. He gives what he thinks is best. None of the gifts are given to everybody. We just ask him and we receive whatever gifts he has for us. So I hope pressure is lifted off and you can put your focus back in a more proportionate way upon Jesus and who he is and all of his gifts and not be distracted by thinking there's one gift that is the most important because that's not the case. Then in verse 31, Paul moves to a different topic which he expands upon in chapter 13 and continues in chapter 14. Look at what he says, verse 31. But earnestly desire the higher gifts and I will show you a still more excellent way. Now in the next weeks, we're going to talk about what makes some gifts higher. You can read ahead in chapter 14 and see what he says. Not that they're more important, but like for example, interpreted tongues are more beneficial to the body than non-interpreted tongues. That gives you a little clue as to what he's talking about. Every gift is essential, but some have a higher purpose. We'll talk about that and about what the more excellent way is, especially next week. But for now, let me leave you with three questions. First question, are you trusting Jesus, drinking of the Holy Spirit, and supernaturally joined, united with a group of believers? Are you? So, so important. Do you live as if you need every other part of the body? You should live that way because you do. Third question, do you live as if the body needs you? You should live that way because the body does need you. So let's stand, I wanna pray. Father, I pray that you would pour out your spirit even more on each one of us here right now. I pray for those who have never put their trust in Jesus Christ, never experienced the baptism of the spirit of you making your love real in their hearts because they've been forgiven through trusting Jesus. I pray, Lord God, that you would change their hearts right now I pray that they would turn to Jesus, own up to the truth of who Jesus is, repent of their sin, trust Jesus Christ, see what he's done on the cross, and that as they do that, you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon them. I pray, Lord, for anyone here who doesn't really feel that they need your people. They don't need church life. They don't need brothers and sisters around them. Oh God, I pray that you would help them see the deception, the lie that that is, and that they would say yes to the truth of your word, that they would 
bend the knee before your word and that they would change their perspective and the way they're living and be part of a community of believers. I pray, Lord, for anyone here who is at odds with someone else where there's bitterness or unforgiveness or jealousy. And Lord, would you, by your power, change their hearts, cleanse their hearts, free them, and that there could be unity and love restored. And Father, we want to lift up the name of Jesus Christ here in Abu Dhabi. We want to praise the name of Jesus Christ here. And we know that one way that'll happen is through our love and our unity and our serving and our caring for each other. So God, I pray that this morning would mark a a turning point in many of our lives and would take us to a whole new level as Grace Church in terms of loving and being united together in a way that is unexplainable apart from the work of your Holy Spirit. So that when people walk in here Friday morning or visit our home groups or see us together during the week, they would know that there's something unusual there and that they would know they need to learn more about who this Jesus is. So would you do that, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name.